0: Is that better? Can y'all hear me with this mic now? Yeah. Wonderful. Why didn't y'all let me know? Just kidding. Someone did. Okay. Well, uh, moms indeed, I hope you have felt honored today. We, we love you uh, so much and grateful to the Lord um, for you. Um, if you are new with us today, uh, let me say thank you so much for joining us for worship uh, we don't want to take that for granted. If you could let us know uh, that you're here worshiping with us, that would be great. You can do that by going to fbcsa.org slash connect. Go ahead and do that right now. It's just a simple way to say, hey, I worshiped with you today, and then gives us an opportunity to touch base with you um, at a later date. I also want to mention, um, y'all just watched a video um, uh, from Kenya. We were part of a team on mission in Kenya back in March, and that was just the last um, one or two days of our time together in Kenya. We went on safari together. There are many more stories to tell, and we want you to know what God did through um, our, our time there uh, and how God blessed us to be a part of his work there, the people that we met that were doing incredible work there. And so uh, this month, May 22nd, right after worship, we're going to invite you to stick around um, and um, listen to some of these stories. Our team was made up of kiddos and adults. So you're gonna hear um, about, gosh, uh, what did God do uh, through our kids and adults You'll hear stories from uh, several of us. But come be um, a part um, of that on uh, May 22nd. Another thing that I want to tell you that I think is pretty awesome Uh, June 5th, we are beginning a brand new series called Better Together, and it's going to be an opportunity um, for us to be reminded and encouraged to be the church together and all that that really means, not just to show up, not just to be a warm body or to be an individual, um, but to be together and recognize that there is value that Uh, in our connectedness with one another. So, but we're gonna start it off by worshiping together in one space, the whole church. Uh, Can you believe that? So on June 5th, we're all gonna gather in the main sanctuary together and super excited about that. Uh, Please start that series well. Tell your friends, family, folks you know that are still watching online, hey, here's the time, June 5th, We're going to start this series off better together, worshiping all in one venue. Super excited about that. Well, we are beginning to come to the end of our series in Job. Uh, This is week 10 in Job. We have three more weeks after this. And all of us, with great anticipation, are eager to finally hear what God has to say to Job. But that's coming next week, not Today. So today we're actually going to be in and around chapters 32 through 37 as we get to hear one young man's final speech, his first and final speech, as he has an opportunity to engage with Job. So let me pray um, and then we will we will get into this text together. Let's pray. Father Lord, this is your word. So as always, we need your help. So give us eyes to see and ears to hear uh, as we try to understand what you have to say to us through these words in the book of Job. We ask that you bless it. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Um, I, I just want to read a handful of verses to you this morning and I want you to re- receive them as we have every single Sunday, And then after that, we're just going to hit a lot of different verses in this, these several chapters. So I just want you to follow along with me um, in um, chapter 33. And I'm just going to begin reading verses 1 through 12 and just receive these. Uh, listen to my words, Job. Pay attention to what I have to say. Now that I have begun to speak, let me continue. I speak with all sincerity. I speak the truth. For the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Answer me if you can. Make your case and take your stand. Look, you and I both belong to God. I, too, was formed from clay, so you don't need to be afraid of me. I won't come down hard on you as opposed to all of his other friends. Verse eight, you have spoken in my hearing and I have heard your very words. You said I am pure, I am without sin, I'm innocent, I have no guilt. God is picking a quarrel with me and he considers me his enemy. He puts my feet in the stocks and watches my every move. But you are wrong and I will show you why for God is greater than any human being. This is a speech by Elihu. This is the first time we've seen Elihu in the book of Job. We are told who his friends are at the beginning, those three friends that come to sit with him and eventually begin chiming in, become a, more of a hurt and a hindrance than a comfort and a help to Job. And at some point, we don't know when, the Bible doesn't tell us, but Elihu shows up on the scene, and he's younger than Job and his friends. And so, after they have said their peace and Job has said their peace, Elohu, under great conviction, needs to chime in too. In fact, the Word of God tells us in chapter 32 that he is quite frustrated and angry with both Job, with how he's speaking to the Lord. And he's angry with Job's friends because they don't have an adequate response to Job that would lead him to a place of repentance. And so Elihu's like, I can't hold back any longer. And he begins to speak and he speaks for five chapters, seven chapters, chapter 32 um, through 37. He has a lot to say. Now, obviously, we can't read all seven of those chapters, um, but one of the values of poetry and prose is that they can be long-winded, but they typically settle on particular themes that are easily identifiable. Um, and so they spend a lot of time talking about few things. And so this morning, I just wanna identify a few of the things that Elihu is trying to communicate to lead Job to a place where he hasn't been, which is a place of humility in his own mind, a place of humility and repentance to get Job where he actually needs to be. And he goes about it in certain simple ways and we can find those pretty easily enough. So the title of this sermon is called Two Truths and a Lie. So I wanna identify two wise truths that this young Elihu has to say to Job and his friends and then identify one untruth, unintentional lie, or at the very least, a lack of wisdom on Elihu's part. But he is wise in some things. And so that first truth that Elihu wants to really communicate to Job is, Job, I want you to remember that God is always just and is a wonderful, mighty, huge, big God beyond our comprehension. In verses 34, 10 through 12, listen to these words from Elihu. He says, listen to me, you who have understanding. Everyone knows that God doesn't sin. The Almighty can do no wrong. He repays people according to their deeds. He treats people as they deserve. Truly God will not do wrong. The Almighty will not twist justice. A very simple truth that Elihu wants Job to remember in all of your interactions and questions and complaints towards God, remember that God is a just God. He does no wrong. All of God's decisions and management of the universe are just in every way. And Job, we won't refute that. Job agrees with that. But this is a reminder from Eliku to Job. Job, don't forget it. But then he goes on in chapter six and then other places in these seven chapters. But I think this captures Eliku's heart and wisdom as it relates to how we perceive and understand God. Um, but in uh, beginning in chapter 36, verse 22, he says, look, God isn't only just, he's all-powerful. Who is a teacher like him? No one can tell him what to do or say to him, you have done wrong. Instead, glorify his mighty work, singing songs of praise. Everyone has seen things, though only from a distance. And so he's been hearing from Job these kind of on-the-cusp accusations of God, questioning God's motives and management, Of the world. And he says, No one teaches God. No one teaches like God. No one can tell him, Oh, you've done wrong. That's what he perceives, what he's been hearing from Job. Verse 26 Look, God is greater than we can understand. His years cannot be counted. He draws up the water vapor and then distills it into rain. The rain pours down from the clouds and everyone benefits. Who can understand the spreading of the clouds and the thunder that rolls forth from heaven? See how he spreads the lightning around him and how he lights up the depths of the sea by these mighty acts. He nourishes the people, giving them food in abundance. He fills his hands with lightning bolts and hurls each at its target. The thunder announces his presence. The storm announces his indignant anger. By the way, this is a preview to God's speech because he comes in the storm. Elohim uh, um, acts as that preview For us, but look at verse 1 of chapter 37. He says, My heart pounds as I think of this, it trembles within me that's that's where he wants Job to be. He says, Job, I want your heart to tremble within you as you remember that God is always just in all his decision-making and all of his management of the world, even your own suffering. God does no wrong. And to add to that, God is the creator of the universe. No one can point at him and say, you've done something wrong. He's like, God is mighty. He is creator. He holds all things. He has lightning bolts in his hands. He tells the storms where to go. Job, will your heart pound and tremble as you remember those truths about God? It's like that elephant. It's like that elephant. Let me tell you, that moment, we were surrounded by about 18 elephants, by the way. And there were a few vehicles there, uh, two or three, and we're just kind of in the midst of this kind of ocean of elephants walking around, and this one elephant, as you can see, just turned around that other vehicle and started walking right towards me, right? And in that moment, you are in awe, and you feel incredibly small, right? And that's that's where job's friend wants him to be Uh, job I, i want you to feel small again i want you to feel small again will you remember that god is big and mighty and just and he does no wrong will you remember that it's like looking into the night sky when it's clear, you, you feel small, or if you're in the middle of the ocean or even at, at the beach and you see these ginormous waves, there's a reason why God says, I've revealed myself through creation because we look at that and we see, wow. And that's where Job's friend wants him to be. He, he wants him to feel that again as he engages with God. Listen, When we are trying to make sense of the world around us, even the suffering that we see and experience, and there is a lot. There are a whole host of questions we could ask about the management of the world. There hasn't been a time when there probably weren't significant questions. Why this, why that, why them, why me? But when we are trying to make sense of the world, remember God is always just and wonderful. Remember that, even if we don't understand it all. The second thing um, that his friend would want him to know is in light of that, Job, you need to check your pride. You need to get small again. This is what um, Elihu thought about Job's speeches. This is chapter 34, verses seven through nine. Tell me, Tell me, has there ever been a man like Job with his thirst for irreverent talk? Elihu's like, man, you're throwing words around to God that are irreverent. Watch your pride. He chooses evil people as his companions, digging at these three older friends. He spends his time with wicked men. He has even said, why waste time trying to please God? Elihu's like, who says that? Who speaks that way to God? He, he goes on to say in verses 31 through 37. Verses 31 and 32 capture Elihu's, This Elihu's like, this is how people should respond to God in the midst of their suffering. Verses 31 through 32. Why don't people say to God, I've sinned. I, I'll sin no more. Or why don't they uh, say, I don't know what evil I've done. Tell me if I've done wrong, I will stop at once. Elohu's like, the proper humble response is, Lord, if I've sinned, I'm gonna walk away from this. I'm gonna repent. Or Lord, show me where I've sinned so I can walk away from. But Elohu's like, you haven't been talking that way, Job. You haven't been talking that way. He says, verse 33, must God tailor his justice to your demands? But you've rejected him. The choice is yours, not mine. Go ahead, share your wisdom with us. After all, bright people will tell me and wise people will hear me say, Job speaks out of ignorance. His words lack insight. Job, you deserve the maximum penalty for the wicked way you have talked. This is all his perception. And there's some truth to it and some wisdom here. Verse 37, for you have added rebellion to your sin. You show no respect and you speak many angry words against God, many angry words. Elohu's like, Job, you need to check your pride at the door. Uh, yes, you're wrestling and you're suffering and you have major complaints, you're angry and, and you have significant questions about what's going on in your life and why it's going on in your life and why the wicked seem to get away with everything but you've done nothing wrong and have received the brunt end of God's judgment. And he says, but even in the midst of all of that, you better watch your pride. There's some wisdom there. There's some wisdom there. I mean, I think God is sympathetic and gracious towards Job in the midst of him processing his suffering and anger. I think there's some mercy there. But I think we too can receive that kind of wise counsel. We need to check ourselves with our frustration and anger that we may have towards the Lord because of things that are happening in our life. We need to be cautious rather than irreverent or reckless or cavalier how we treat or relate to the Lord. We have to remember that he's big and he's just and holy and majestic. It's like that elephant. Now let me tell you, when that elephant is coming towards you and it's getting bigger, it's the largest land animal, period, several tons, again, you feel very small. And and, and again, if you could have heard the audio we were all whispering like this. Why? And at some point, I was, again, I was, I was asking our guide, um, uh, should, we, should we do something right now? Sh- should we back up? Should we move? What should we do? What should we not do? Listen, when we're in the face of something big and mighty, our approach changes. That's what Ella, who's trying to communicate. Is, is Job, in the midst of your suffering, remember that God is just and wonderful and mighty and big and never does any wrong. Your approach needs to change. And although God is gracious and merciful in our anger, in our questioning, I, I believe God gets it that we have to process the things that we go through and we don't always hit the mark and we don't always do it right, but I think this is a healthy reminder for us that when we are processing the things that we're facing in life, that we are coming before a holy and mighty God, one who has redeemed us through Jesus, amen, but nonetheless we come with great adoration and appropriate reverence for the Lord. The bigness of a thing, the wonder of it all often changes our approach. So here's the takeaway for this is when when taking your questions and complaints to the Lord, check your pride at the door. Just check it. What's my attitude like as I come before God? Am I off fists? Am I gonna remember that he does no wrong and I might not understand it And I still may have questions, and I'm still frustrated and anger, but I'm going to seek to honor the Lord in my questioning and my heartache. So those are the two truths. Remember, God is just and wonderful. Check your pride at the door. There's wisdom there. And then Elihu goes to where all the other friends have gone, which is, Job, certainly you've done something wrong. Can you just get to that quickly? Remember, God's just, does no wrong, and it's tied to your sin. Let's read that. This is Job chapter 33, verses 13 through 30. I'll just read a portion of these. Verse 13. So why are you bringing a charge against God? Why does he... Why, does he, uh, why say he does not respond to people's complaints? For God speaks again and again, though people do not recognize it. He speaks in dreams and visions of the night when deep sleep falls on people and they lie in their beds. He whispers in their ears and terrifies them with warnings. He makes them turn from, wrong, from doing wrong. He keeps them from pride. He protects them from the grave, from crossing over the river of death. Our God disciplines people with pain on their sickbeds, with ceaseless aching in their bones. They lose their appetite for even the most delicious food. Their flesh wastes away and their bones stick out. They are at death's door. The angels of death wait for them. Verse 29. Yes, God does these things again and again for people. He rescues them from the grave so that they may enjoy the light of life. Mark this well, Job. Listen to me, for I have more to say but if you have anything to say, go ahead, speak, for I am anxious to see you justified. But if not, listen to me, keep silent, I will teach you wisdom. And in that supposed wisdom, Elihu says multiple times, you have sinned, Job. If we go to 36 Just a few words about the previous section in chapter 33. Uh, Elihu is saying, God has a reason for everything he does. He even warns people about the sin that they may commit to prevent them from committing that sin. And in some ways, Elihu is saying, if God is not casting judgment on you for something you've done in the past or in the present, then he may even be doing it because of something you may do in the future. So God's judgment or your suffering is tied to even... Past, present, or even future sin. In verses 36 through, uh, chapter 36, 16 through 21. He says, God is leading you away from danger, Job, to a place free from distress. He is setting your table with the best. But you are obsessed with whether the godless will be judged. Don't worry, judgment and justice will be upheld to those others. But watch out or you you may be seduced by wealth. Don't let yourself be bribed into sin. Could all your wealth and all your mighty efforts keep you from distress? Do not long for the cover of night, for that is when people will be destroyed. Verse 21, be on guard, turn back from evil, for God sent this suffering to keep you from a life of evil. Elohu's saying, listen, this suffering, this judgment from God is tied to your sin." even possible future sin, and he's wrong. That's not to say God doesn't use those things in our life to shape character or to keep us from doing things, but what has been the whole, one of the drumbeats all of Job is that I haven't done anything. I haven't done anything, any particular sin. Yes, Job is keenly aware that he is a broken person, that he's a sinful person. He said, listen, I know I've sinned in my youth, but but Job has said all along that there is no particular action or behavior. I've been seeking after God. I've given my life to God. I've worshiped God. I love God. I I, I wanna honor God. And there's nothing that I have done in particular that is deserving or warranted of this type of judgment and suffering. Even God has said the same thing thing. Uh, God has said his suffering is not because of something that he's done. And yet all four of these friends are pretty insistent that Job, it is because of something that you've done or something that you may do. Listen, we know sometimes suffering just is. And, And God has a reason for everything that he does, but we may never know it, perceive it, understand it. But Elihu is wrong. Not all suffering is tied to someone's behavior or sin. Do we have consequences to sin? Absolutely, absolutely. But there's a lesson to be learned here for us, I think. And I think we find that in these for friends, even to Job, I think, but although he's beginning to see things differently as his worldview is being turned upside down because of his insistence of innocence, that suffering has come regardless of what he's done or hasn't done. We can invest a lot of energy, just like these friends, in interpreting events in our lives, A lot of times, it's suffering. We can invest so much energy trying to discern, why is this happening to me? Why is it happening to them? What's the meaning of this? What's going on? Why why me? Why this? We can invest so much energy interpreting these events that we oftentimes do it at the expense of obeying God with the things that we know to be certain. Um, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 he's talking about the use of spiritual gifts and how the body works together that until Christ returns we're supposed to use our gifts to the building up of the body and uh, that we need to do so with love, right? Um, But there's this little portion in chapter 13 where he says right now we don't know everything. He'll even say it like this. Right now, we we look through like tinted glass. It's like we can see some images on the other side, but it's not clear. He says, that's how life is right now. We're like looking through a glass darkly, but one day, everything will be made clear. Everything will be made clear. Um, now, why is that valuable for us, especially in light of Job? I think... We can tend to really focus on the, the unclear images, the things that we cannot fully perceive and understand, and we invest so much energy and time and emotion and understanding why is this happening, what's really going on, that we lose sight of who we're called to be right now with the things we know God has called us to be right now, like loving our neighbor as ourself, Right? We, we know God has told us to bear witness to the work of Christ, and we can get so caught up in our own experience and suffering and wondering why things are happening that we lose sight that we ought to be doing the things of God in our life. And it's not to say that those big questions aren't important. We should be asking those questions. We should be seeking meaning in all of life, but not at the expense of obeying God. Listen, I'm convinced that when we see God face-to-face, when all things become clear, when we see God face to face, we won't be asking about reasons for things. Uh, why did this happen to me? Or or justifications. God, why did you do this? We won't be asking those things. Or, or we won't, uh, or maybe not even be finally satisfied with all those lingering questions. I think we will. But I don't think that will be our first immediate response. I do think all things would be made clear. But I think the lingering thought that we're, we're gonna have when we see the bigness and beauty and majesty and holiness of God face to face is to think back on our life, not with regret, because we're, there's no regret in, in heaven, right? There's no regret, but there will be, why did I not appreciate the beauty and bigness of God sooner? Why didn't I obey God more? I mean, I'm grateful for the cross. I'm grateful that he redeemed me. I just wish I had seen all of that sooner. I wish that I, that had come into view and I, what, with what God has already revealed to me. I wish I'd sunk my teeth into that and not been so concerned about why this is happening to me and this, this is unfair and this shouldn't be this way to gosh, if I could have beheld the glory and might and power of God and his son, Jesus Christ and obeyed him from day one. I think that's what we're gonna think. I think those are the kind of questions that we should be asking now. Yeah, ask the big questions. But say, Lord, I wanna be one who obeys you now and is not consumed with just the wise of the world. When life is tough, when life is tough and the heartache is real, ask What kind of person will I be in the middle of the storm? Which is really what Job has been all about from the beginning. That's why the whole business of the wager. If I take everything away from him, his wealth, his possessions, his health, he'll curse you. God says, no, he won't. It was never about the why. It was all about what kind of person will he be in the middle of it. You remember when Peter And his friends were in that boat in the storm. They were crossing the Sea of Galilee and they see this figure like a ghost that's walking towards them. And they're terrified, right? But they recognize, Peter recognizes it's Jesus, right? And it's remarkable, it's remarkable that in that moment, amidst the terror of the storm, that Peter doesn't yell across, hey, why in the world did you cause the storm? Which is a good question. Don't you know we're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee? What did Peter ask? What did he ask Jesus? Tell me to come towards you. Tell me to come towards you. Lord, I want the kind of faith that will give me the feet to step out of the boat. And he does, and of course then he seeks because he gets his eyes off of Jesus. But here's the point. All those other questions are great. But in life, even in the midst of the storms that come our way, we might understand the reasons of them, but will we ask, Lord, will you give me the kind of faith to step towards you in obedience, regardless of the reasons for the things that are happening in my life? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the testimony of Job and the conversation of these friends. Um, Lord, I... Ask that you help us as we wrestle with things in our own life to ask you how we ought to live and to give us the faith to obey you in it. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen.